Welcome to Talking In Stations. I am Madderall here with the crew from Talking In Stations. We're going to talk about EVE Online, specifically the CSM elections. Now, the elections have come to a close. Uh, the results are out tomorrow. So what we thought we would do with some smart people is look back at last year, tally up the formulas on uh, predictive models on uh, you know, who won with uh, looking at uh, CSM 15, and we're going to apply that to CSM 16 and see who we think are the winners. And we'll do that in just a minute. First, I'd like to say hello to my friend, Rich. Ah, good night and good morning, depending on the time of the world. We're also here with Shen. All right. And also from Talking In Stations, one of our new Talking In Stations members, this is Ren. Hello, hello. And Ren is represented by a Dramil. You can see that from right there. Oh, I kind of like this ship. Let me uh, turn you down a little bit because you're super loud. So you can back off the mic a little. Just make sure. Okay. Let's get started with... Uh, we were going to do a little bit of news, but I'll just make an announcement uh, about something that we recorded earlier today, and that was an interview with guys from Poshfin, the Strybog, Kybernauts, Interstellar Triglavian Collective. These are three groups uh, represented respectively by Mal Maldavius, Op Opus Magnum, and Zara must plague. So these guys told us what their pain points were in Poshvin, and they told us what they plan to do about it. So they're doing a protest, destroying all their structures, uh, sending a message to CCP that Poshvin is not working uh, very well. Certainly not working for them in that they are uh, under attack by N plus one, which means blobs of uh, fighters that they can't possibly take on. And they are just going to cut to the chase, destroy all their structures and not worry about their structures anymore. And they don't have to defend those so they can go on offense. Something along those lines. Check it out, it's a full hour with Triglavian guys. And now for today, Rich, this is something we've been curious about. Now, a little conflict of interest, or we should say, uh, we'll, we'll recuse Rich from speaking too much in this episode, because he is a candidate for CSM 16, and it was endorsed by Fraternity in a significant way. It was a big surprise that happened a few weeks ago. So we'll see what that's like. Um, Ren has done some work along with Rich to take a look at uh, what the last year results looked like and how they were achieved. And we'll take a look to see if that can predict who's going to win tomorrow. So Ren, let's see your presentation. All right, CSM 16, can we 538 the vote? Yeah, 538 is a website for, let me turn you up. Uh, 538 is a website for elections and statistics and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's 538.com. So we're going to do uh, EVE Online version of that. So first of all, how is the CSM elected? It's selected using STV voting. Hold on, I'm not seeing your chance. Sorry, what was that? I'm not we're still seeing your broadcast. Jamil, yeah. When you share, you'll want to switch the share over to your presentation. Does that make sense? Uh, he turned it off. He'll turn it back on in a second. In the meantime, I'm going to fix a little sound issue. How's that? There we go. It works perfectly now. All right. <laughs> now it looks a bit more fancy. All right, let's go. All right, STV voting. Last year, we had 36,000 votes and 10,000 unique votes. How do you make a sense of the mess? Um, we use STV voting. So the advantage of STV voting over, say, the American system of first-past-the-post is if you have uh, a group of people where 45% want one person, 
say 40 want another and 15% want a third candidate. The third candidate very, very rarely gets in. And that 15% is always underrepresented because first past the post, the 45% is always going to get to 50% faster than the 15%. Now, normal distribution of voters mean the 40% will get in as well, but that 15% will never get any decent um, representation in Parliament. So SDV voting was invented to make a sense of that and to give more representation than for the smaller guys, that is probably closer to being fair. Um, so what they do... Wait, give me a sec, I just said someone at the door. Did he say someone was at the door? Yes. Uh, they always come knocking right when you start doing your presentation. By the way, we'll, uh, if we have links, we'll give them up so you guys can see the stuff. I have to say this election and the weight of the results... It terrifies me. It's, uh, it's the longest few days I've ever had to wait for quite a, well, quite a while. <laughs> I hope I don't have to have this kind of wait in other, well, other times in my well, future. when you become a father, it'll be worse, but <laughs> don't mean to scare <laughs> Well, so let, let's get something um, out straight. So when can we know the result, Madero? Uh, the results are coming in tomorrow. Uh, CCP will do a presentation. I don't have the hour, though. Do you? It's Friday, probably. I around, don't either. Yeah, probably around 1800. I'll see if I can track that down while we're sitting here waiting. Um, but uh, presentation last year was really interesting, and I encourage you to watch it if you can live. It literally is a horse race because... Um, the way they did it last year, and it was CCP Aurora that put it together, was a slideshow. And so for every slide, it was a different round of voting, and she drew arrows so you can see where the residual votes went, which was uh, really amazing because you could then see uh, when somebody either got into office or was knocked out of competition, those extra votes went to the next person, and so she would illustrate how that actually happened. And it was very interesting, and I imagine they'll do something similar. Um, see if I can actually ask uh, someone or the actual times that they're going to do it, but make sure you're watching CCP TV or maybe we'll actually bring that up and maybe they have it on their schedule. Uh, let's see. Matterall, I believe uh, Ren needs to be moved back in. Oh, thank you for telling me. Matterall, I believe uh, Ren needs to be moved back in. Oh, thank you for telling me. Oh, hold on a second. <laughs> uh, that was a recording that came up, so I thought you asked me twice. I was like, I'm getting to it, dude. I'm getting to it. But uh, Rand, you're back in. Just go ahead and share your screen and we'll get started again. Sorry about that. Delivery I've been waiting for days and days for. Yeah, I went to look at CCP's schedule and they're actually restreaming us. And so uh, it came up. Um, so I'm looking at this week and I do not see it on their schedule. So I'm not sure when tomorrow. But we do know Friday is the results for CCP TV. All right, let me grab your... All right, I'm take it I have to look at these numbers with, uh, well, red tinted glasses. <laughs> rose tinted. I, it's rose tinted, red tinted one. Well, these ones are nice and red tinted, but they uh, they terrify me. Also, Ren has been torturing me with the numbers, telling me what could possibly happen Don't and spoil what it. might not possibly happen. <laughs> okay, so I didn't actually make this spreadsheet. Someone, nice person, provided it to me. And what they've done is they've taken all the votes and split them up into who those votes are. So how do we do the SDV? Well, first of all, we tally all the votes. 
So Merkel Chen had 5,325 initial votes. Goblins had 3,700. You go through all the candidates and work out all their first preferences. There's 36,000 votes. We're looking for 10 candidates. So we take those 36,000, we divide it by 11 because we want 10 plus 1, it's 11. So you need 3,200 votes and change to make it in. As you can see, Merkel, Chen and Gobbins are over that 3,200 quota. So we elect Merkel, Chen and Gobbins. Um, but Merkel, Chen and Gobbins have more than 3,200 votes. So what happens to their votes? Well, we start running preferences. So for example, Merkel, Chen's preferences go to a nominate. If you look here and follow through, he has an excess of 2,000 votes. 1,886 of those votes go to a nominate and follow the preferences. A bunch go to brisk. That's because other people didn't just quite follow the Merkel-Chen nominate candidate. There's a percentage of people who went not a Merkel-Chen brisk. We then retally everyone's votes. As you can notice, Gobbins and Merkel-Chen are now out of it because all their excess votes have been redistributed. Find out who's got the lowest. In this case, it's Liam. And we eliminate Liam's votes. Liam the Wildebeest. Liam is a diplomat. Yeah. Oops. We then repeat this. But when we originally tally them, all the votes go to the best preference still alive. So if we look here, we had 10 votes from Liam that went to Juventus. And if you follow down when we tallied in the first round, we had 1375 going to Juventus. Now we've got 1387 going to Juventus because Liam's preferences are now going there. Now, 1375 plus 10 does not equal 1387, but there are two or three more votes further down which don't quite follow this specific order, and that's where those extras come from. After we've done this again, we just repeat it. We elect our dudes, we follow through and eliminate, oh, follow through the preferences, then eliminate whoever's lowest. And we keep doing that until we get 10 people elected. Uh, any questions on STV voting and how it works? No, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work been done, has, that's already been done on how it works. Uh, they can find that out there. But I like to, let me put it this way. It's like a crowd of people trying to get through a door all at the same time because there's a giant monster coming and they need to get through the door to be safe. And so the first few are crowding at the beginning. Uh, they get through okay, so they're safe from the monster. The, the monster's killed like six or seven people in the time that the first two get through. And it's a process of, can you get through the door when everybody's trying to get through at the same time before this monster eats you up? Now, these votes, the votes that get passed down, while of course those who get the first, second, and very early spots in terms of uh, the initial votes do get the most benefit, what about much further down? Some people have said that anywhere past six is irrelevant, but we have a total of ten slots we have to fill. How important are those later slots, the lower level, lower priority slots? Uh, we'll get to that later, but... Depending on who you're voting for, I think it actually got someone in with a ninth preference last year. So every vote counts, huh? Every vote, every every vote slot. counts. So votes disappear every round, and we're trying. We're wondering why did votes disappear? Like we've put a vote in, why is our vote no longer counting? Um, basically, it comes down to people being lazy. Um, they've mm -hmm. only put one candidate or two candidates down a lot of the time. So, for example, UAX Death here, when he got eliminated, all these votes went to preferencing. You notice there's no preferences here for him to go to. So those votes get eliminated. And what this means over time, you actually need fewer and fewer votes to get in because more and more votes get eliminated. Um, 
by the end of the vote last year, about 20% of votes were eliminated. That's wild, meaning that they had no preference that they went to. They just fell out of contention. Yeah, so they either had no, they had no live preferences left. Yeah, they had no live preferences, or they just simply only had UX Def as their vote, and nobody else. Uh, no live preferences means either their all their candidates have been elected, or those candidates are no longer in the vote because they've been eliminated. Been so there's no the one monsters. to give it to. Yeah, so the monster has eaten those votes. So exhausted. If you actually look on the transfers, what does exhausted mean? Well, if you look here, Maria has 1,476 votes for Maria, Goblin, Stadio, Kenneth, Larisso. But she's also got 470 straight for Maria. So when Maria got elected, almost a third of her votes that were in excess don't have a second candidate. So they get exhausted. And they, again, get in by the monster. Oh, into dust. Yes, into dust. (laughs) Uh, Rich is looking at those thinking like, what a waste. I could use those. Yeah, they're the frat votes. So, Rich, those are the ones you want to have actually put down multiple candidates. I hope so. <laughs> All right, so who's going to be elected? What I did was I went through and worked out this year's candidate for each of the blocks I could find. I then tried to match them up as best I could to candidates last year. AOM, for example, I could not find who their candidate was last year. And then... We take the votes that those blocks gave last year and assign them to the candidates this year. Well, we have someone from AOM uh, here in this room, Shen. So do you know who is at the top of your ballot? Nope. I did ask <laughs> him. Okay. Yeah, he asked me. I mean, I, I don't, last year, this time, I was too much like a new bro. I did not understand what CSM was. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I don't think, because that was right after the winter core. So... So we have to remember it was very divided. It's not like right now where Ford and Test are voting for each other. Uh, it was mu- very much like each coalition voting for themselves. So politics has changed within the game. So things may change up. Who knows? This is a rather complicated system, Ren. Is there any way to cheat this or is it <laughs> robust and, uh, well, bulletproof? Is there, is there any possibility that one could stop the count? Uh, you can't stop the count, but you can definitely cheat it. And I'll go through later how that works and how it has actually happened in real life. So who's going to most likely going to be elected and who are the ones battling it out, trying to pull out votes from thin air and groups that didn't tell them that so or Merkel are publicly Chen, disclosed? Merkel Chen's getting in. Gobbins is getting in. Vili is getting in. Kenneth is getting in. In nominate is 99.9% getting in. Brisk um, is pretty much getting in. I've Brisk is a hot bit of a hard one to work out because I have given him Izuki's votes, which he's not running this year. So I did put Izuki's votes because a lot of them did go to Brisk last year, but they might not turn up this year to vote for him. But Brisk also did pull a lot of preferences from a lot of weird places. So he actually got quite a few preferences from people who voted for Gobbins, for example, or Kenneth last year. Um... Once we get so we're those... seven candidates down, who are the remaining three? Uh, six, I think. Yeah, so once we've got these yellow ones in, we get some excess votes. So, for example, Horde last year had 14% of the vote. You need 9% to get elected. You get 5% excess. Uh, Test had an excess of 1%. Brave had 2% of the vote. And once you start working out Kenneth's, all those extra stuff, you get about 5% between NC, PL, and FRT. 
if you look here, a lot of those guys put pro-God second. So when you start looking at it and you go, there's 13% of the vote here, pro-God only needs 9% to go in, he's likely to get in. So mm. we can put pro-God down. 13% minus 9 gives 4%. That 4% then gets split between Ron and Rich, which unfortunately Ron's probably going to get the higher percentage because only Frat went Ron and all these other ones went – sorry, only Frat went Rich and all these other ones went Ron. And as it's done proportionately, most of them are going to go to Ron. Oh, Mm. that's terrifying. I I love Ron as a person, but uh, his CSM policies are not my bag of – Dirt. Well, Ron has a long way to go to actually get in. So I've given him about 4%, but this is assuming perfect preferences, which, as we've seen, preferences get exhausted. So he won't actually get the full 4% filtering down, and he still needs to get to 9%. There's a lot of votes between 4 and 9%. So he's got a good shot, but I don't actually think he's going to get in. Let's, let's continue and come back to why that might be. Okay, so Mike, for example... Mike got in pretty easily last year. Mike Azariah. Yeah, and I suggest he's probably going to get in. But there is a little bit of a kink in Mike's path to get in, is he got a lot of Icarius's hand-me-downs when Icarius got um, eliminated. Icarius isn't in this year, so are those guys going to turn up to vote? Well, Icarius represents the group uh, in high sec, right? He's the leader of that. Silent Co. Yeah, and they're a huge voting. Well, I don't know if they're a huge voting block, but there are a lot of characters in that group. They're huge, but whether or not the majority of those characters can vote is still up to speculation. I haven't heard from Silent Co. At least they, I haven't seen any public announcement of who they are backing this year. So it's I'm not too sure what's going to happen with Icarus's former voting block from the previous year transferring to this year. Um, the other interesting one is Torville, who got in. Now, Torville's a streamer. Can we say that Ron potentially might get some of his votes? Maybe, maybe not. I'd potentially say that Ron's streaming audience is more goons pappy. And if they're goons pappy, they're probably already accounted for over here and actually won't vote for Ron as a streamer straight up. So Ron, he's got a path, but I'm not sure he's going to make it. Mm. We've got... And also, back, back to the summer, just a quick point. A lot of times you see a lot of no-sec people, they have their out in a lot of this high-sec alliances that has no war deck. So the question really comes in of how many actual human being that only plays in Isaac. One last thing on Icarus. Icarus, again, being the uh, CEO of Silent Company, when he ran last year, he got a certain percentage. That's what we're looking at here. I have heard that Dr. Spod might actually get a lot of those votes. I'm not sure at what position, but a pretty high position. So that is interesting if it works out for him that way. Anyway, he's go ahead. Been, he's been given, apparently given a massive injection of uh, votes from a mysterious third party, but he's also wondering if it will be delivered, if he's actually going to get it. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified of the prospect as well. Ben? So, Hard Knox was the best wormhole candidate last year with his Zuki. Um, Lorenzo had only 3% of the vote to begin with, but he got almost to 9% by the time he got in with different preferences for filtering down. And he was actually last eliminated. Now, Hard Knox don't have a candidate this year. So potentially those votes are going to go to Teddy. So Teddy's one we can put down as potential. Let me just make sure that people understand that Hard Knocks, uh, their candidate is not Izuki or was not last year. It was Laura Seco. Yeah, so Hard Knocks okay. is Laura Seco, but Izuki was the other wormhole candidate. Izuki's not running this year and Laura Seco's not running this year. 
the highest profile wormhole candidate I could find was Teddy. So potentially those votes will filter to Teddy, so Teddy potentially could get in. But I'm not, I don't think he's going to quite get there. I think wormholes need to get a little bit less tribal, start concentrating more on what they agree with and what they don't, and less on what they disagree with to be able to get people in. It's, you know, you mentioned this, and it's going to be my eternal regret that I did not mention my 14-plus months of service in a wormhole, though it is a C2. However, in regards to wormholes, I have apparently been uh, promised or told that another large wormhole group has uh, put me on their voting ballots, especially at number one. So we sh- I'd like to see how this plays out if this... It's all about ifs and buts and does it actually deliver at the end of the day. But I have been told that I have been given one worm, a large wormhole group's well, voting block well, from we'll, Warren Wormhole, we'll a Chinese how, wormhole group. We'll see how that works out. We'll know tomorrow. So <laughs> there's a few other people which are very hard to pin down. Phantomite waned in last year. Phantomite got a lot of preferences from a lot of weird places. But for him to get those preferences, he had to survive long enough that those people who got the original first votes were either elected or knocked out. If you actually look at Phantomite's votes, there's probably seven or eight votes which you can clearly see look to be one or two individuals who put 30 or 40 votes into Phantomite. Uh, is he going to continue to hold that? Or, with Spod now contesting him, will Spod get those votes? I'm not sure if the low site groups will vote Dr. Spodermain over Phantomite. I'm not sure if some of the other groups that voted Phantomite the previous year, including some of the small-scale PvP groups, would vote Dr. Spodermain either, because, well, I, I don't think he'll get that support simply because of his name and his background. But it's all also speculation. Have- you also have Suetonio fighting for those votes, and Suetonio is mm-hmm. probably the hardest person to pin down how many votes he's going to get because he didn't run last year. He doesn't really have an obvious supporter block. I mean, Volta does vote for him, but they're not a very big voter block. But you potentially know that from his history and his reputation that he's going to pull a lot of preferences from a lot of places. So if Suetonio can survive the first few rounds and start pulling preferences, he's got a more than decent chance to get in. And he was CSM 14, so he's been in there before. Yeah. Um, Arcea seeing... is another one that's hard to pin down because, again, she didn't run last year, but she's got a high profile and she is on the Pappy preferences. <laughs> However, although she's on the Pappy preferences, as we've seen here, Ron is probably going to pull those before they ever get to Arcea. But if Ron happens to get eliminated before Arcea or Phantomite gets eliminated, those potentially will follow through to Arcea and she could potentially get in as well. There is a path that she can get in. I'm seeing apparently the silent company list is in order. Mike Azariah, Maldavius, Dr. Spodermain, Jurius Doctor, Rix Javix, Winzent, uh, Phantomite, Uriel, Brisk, and Arcia. So I think Mike Azariah, well, will be inheriting the voter base from Silent Cove from previous years or the previous year. Well, hang on. Yeah, don't, jump to, don't jump to the end. Uh, but if you could, can you tell us at this point of vote counting uh, who is in? And who's on the fence? So Merkelchen, Brisk, Indominate, Gobbins, Philly, and Kenneth are pretty much dead set to go in. Like, there's very little doubt that they're going to get in. Mike and Progod, I'd say, are 90 to 95% to get in. And then the last two votes are very much up for grabs. Well, something willing. I hope I get in. <laughs> something I'm willing. Terrifying. That's two places. 
I I really hope my uh, my votes pull through. I if if it were not me, I hope Doctor Spider-Man's votes manage to pull through. But or it's it's All competitive right. at this point because some of the last remaining candidates, I I deeply respect them. Spod, Phantomite, Arcea, Suetonia. All right, so let's make sure that we're, we're clear on there's two spots left in our predictive model here that Ren has put together. And we have Arcea, Suetonia, Teddy, Spod, Beast. we haven't talked about yet. Tell us about these guys that might contend for the last two spots. So Beast, I believe, is the biggest streamer of EVE Online. Torval got in as a streamer last year, so potentially Beast has a spot. But again, he's another one that's very hard to predict because he didn't run last year. and you need to know what his audience is. So if his audience is Pappy Goons, they're potentially going to vote straight down the line for Pappy and Goons. And although he's got a big audience, he's not going to actually see a lot of that audience vote for him. Ron USMC has the same issue. His audience is almost certainly going to be Nullsec, Pappy, Imperium, and they're going to potentially mostly vote down the line of what they've been suggested to. I believe iBeast has the, well, should have the backing of the Russian community. And certainly has a lot of backing in terms of the small-scale PvP community. I neglect to know to well, inform those who do PvP, including myself, that unfortunately the small-scale, the small-gang PvP community is very divided on who they're going to vote. Mm, and yeah. I'm not sure if we could organize or cobble together a block to challenge well, the well, Nolsec-dominated I think Ibeast is compromised in a couple of ways. One is he's got like a Phantomite, Suetonia, uh, even Arcia, uh, you know, working the small gang angle. And on the other side of it, he's uh, he's running against another Russian guy from, I believe, from uh, XIX, isn't he? Like, um, it's a big name from from XIX, which is Fire Coalition. So you may see a lot of people vote for him that might have gone to Ibeast. It's going to be interesting. CCP does count, count votes. As long as you're Omega, you can vote. It's not count. You're not uh, limited by, say, DNA. You're limited about how many accounts you can turn into Omega status. So there's an interesting point there. A month or so ago, you had the Capsule Day event. On the Capsule Day event, there's about 300,000 skill points given away for free. So a lot of people Omega their accounts for that to get the free skill points to then extract later. Those accounts are still Omega just in time for the CSM and could have voted. Hmm. Interesting. There may be a, a chunk of votes uh, that are a bunch of characters that weren't really meant to play. They're meant to get rewards, but those votes are available to be directed in one way or another. You had to muck around a little bit to do it. So you had to Omega your account on the last day of the Capsule Air event, and then you'd have four days of CSM to get there. But I suspect more than a few people did do that. Yeah, I don't think anybody planned that uh, far ahead. Maybe, but who knows? I did, but I'm weird. <laughs> well, clearly, so, look at your so do, we, so, so, so do we know like if Fire's voting on their own, or are they voting with Legacy, or Pappy in general? Because they are... Part of Pappy, technically. I haven't seen anything from Fire at this stage. And I couldn't match Fire from last year either, from where they are and where they're going. Let me throw some names out at you, see if they ring a bell. Uh, another wormhole candidate that we've seen is uh, Evi Kuvo. That uh, anybody know about him? <clears throat> also, I saw somebody's name that kept popping up. I think it might have been Evio. No, it was Mark Resurrectus. He's a wormhole candidate as well. I saw him kind of come up in small gang circles. 
So Mark had, I think it was um, actually online recommend him. So he does have some wormhole backing. The issue of the wormholes is they kind of need to work together to get in. Mm. I'm afraid, to my enough. knowledge, they with what happened with Oren and his inability to run, and looking at the top candidates that the Praise Bob Discord listed up, three of them aren't even wormhole candidates, and the two remaining wormhole candidates are in a position of being deeply divided. The four can they sorry the five candidates they listed were Mark, Stitch, Suetonia, Teddy, and Phantomite. Uh, Stitch, Suetonia, and Phantomite aren't even wormholers, so this puts it as an interesting point of contention. To my uh, to my knowledge, Stitch is more of a battleship brawler. He's a well-known small gang player, but I'm not sure of his voter base. And as for Teddy and Mark. Unfortunately, I'm. I believe with the case for Teddy, there is a good chunk of wormholers who will refuse to vote for him, which is going to be a point of contention. I'm not sure about Mark Resurrectus. It's, I. I, compared to say Loriseco, I didn't. I knew who Loriseco was, and I knew who Teddy was, but he seems to be a lot newer, and I don't know how much of a supporter base he'll get in this election. Well, it doesn't matter. They all have to work together in order to get a candidate over that. What is it? 5%? 6%? Uh, you need to get to 9%, 9%. officially to get in, mm-hmm. but it got, it's actually closer to 7 Right. It they do to... have the votes. So it's, wormhole candidates. It's 9% have the votes when you first start, but it gets lower and lower as time goes by. Is that and what you said? Kind of. I'm, there's something I'm going to show a bit later. Okay, go ahead. So the wormhole candidates definitely have enough to get someone in, but Azuki needs to agree with hard knocks guys and i don't see that happening so i wormholders just need to start realizing that they've got enough in common that they need to work with each other and stop focusing on their differences before they can get anyone in they have they have to vote their interests and their interests completely collide in some ways so it's better that the other camp doesn't get their wormhole candidate in than it is uh you get someone in there to represent part of your interest uh i think I think that's what needs to be understood. Is it's not like, hey, we're wormholers before we're anything else. I think the, getting someone from Hard Knocks is uh, would be a terrible thing for people in the Exuki camp, we'll call it, and the other way around as well. So the question is then, if you don't have a wormholer in who does the uh, advocating on wormholer's behalf, so you, would a wormholer rather Vili advocating or would they rather Izuki advocating for him? Well, Potentially, I'd say Azuka is better or choice from. The joke has been it's been brisk because uh, he's the one that brought up like, hey, you guys are going to squash the wormholers on this one thing. Um, but he was kind of laughed off the stage by wormholers who were, and it's become a meme ever since. But it's not an issue of Nullsec representing wormholers. Nullsec doesn't really care uh, about interfering with wormholes. It's just that they have their they have their advice that they give, and if it actually hurts in some way, wormholers, because there wasn't a candidate there to protect their interests. Uh, I think that's what we've seen in the past actually happen. But what you might have is someone from Poshvin, or you might have someone who's a low-sec candidate, like a phantomite in this last um, session of CSM, partially represent their interests because he's familiar with some of the tactics that they use because he's a small gang guy, and wormholers are basically small gang with some some mutations. <laughs> Put it, put it nicely. 
I think right. in the case of Phantomite and the wormhole vote, it becomes this really awkward and interesting conundrum where people are not voting who they support, but they are voting for who they don't support the least. Some somebody who they hate they it's it's not somebody they they vote that they love it's somebody that they vote that they hate the least and it's or they dislike the least or has even the slightest amount of similarity to them and it puts them in this really awkward area where the candidate they they're voting for doesn't actually know much about wormholes or not enough to be qualified as a proper full blooded wormhole noble. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, I think we should. Alright, so sixth preference. Is there a value in the sixth preference? Um, what is it? First, describe what the sixth preference is so we all know what it is. Um, so, Vili straight up said that there's no value on the tickets past six. In our, it's our Discord, actually. Yeah. Um, so, you put your candidate one down, two, three, four, five, and sixth is the sixth person you want to go in. Then you go seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. A lot of people have said six to ten are actually useless. I tend to disagree. So, from last year, if you look at the, la- the pre-elimination tally right at the end, so this is the last one that went in. Torval had 25.58. Oreso Seco uh, had 23. So Torval got in by about 250 votes. If you look over here, Torval was ninth on the Imperium voting calendar. And if you follow here, he got 177 directly from the Imperium voting. So 177 of those 250 that got him in came directly from the ninth candidate. Now, this one specifically didn't quite get him in only on the ninth preference, but you can see that there's very much potential that the last two spots are going to be decided by nine, uh, spots 7, 8, 9, and 10 on someone's ballot. Don't scare me. Also, this is heresy. Do not let Laurel Sucker know about this. The last year's loss and everything and what's happened this year have... Uh, I'm, I'm sad to see that Laurel Sucker didn't run this year. If I think if he knew about this, oh god, I don't know how he'd feel. That's heresy, huh? But I think the point here that you're making, Ren, is that way past the sixth spot, your sixth preference, way over into the ninth preference, you still had 177 votes uh, coming from the Imperium, which is a big group. But that's still nearly 200 votes that are available at the very last rounds. Yes, and Horde, for example, was even worse. So if you follow Horde through, you've got Gobbins, who got elected, Maria, who's elected, Stedio, who's eliminated, <laughs> Kenneth was elected, Blazing Bunny was eliminated, Meredith was elected, Pandora was el- eliminated, Izuki was eliminated, Storm was eliminated, and Barilla was eliminated. So at this point, all those Horde preferences that didn't quite fill up on the other ones, they just disappeared because they didn't have an 11th candidate. Mm. Do we know how many votes that was? Was that? Uh, yeah, I could work it out if you want. Only if you can do it quickly, it's no... Uh, well, uh, only on the spot. If you can't do it on the spot, are past, uh, are like 7, 8, 9, 10 positions as worthless as Vili says, or do they have more value? Is there a diamond in the rough in there? So there was 56 that came from Maria that got eliminated, mm-hmm. and Kenneth got 347. So there's probably 347 votes that got eliminated from Kenneth. Now, not all of those are going to be from this one ticket because they're going to be eliminated from, say, this ticket here as well. But this one, they went to Loreso. So Loreso was getting some there, but there was somewhere between 300 to 400 votes potentially that were getting eliminated just because there wasn't a candidate left on that ticket. But in some way, this only matters to Bitblock, right? 
because Imperium has such a big voting power and Horde has such a big voting power that it's possible for their ninth or tenth candidate candidate to get affected by uh, their place on the ballot. No, for, this is, uh, I think this is counterintuitive, to... but that is completely wrong. So as your candidates get elected, <laughs> some of your votes get used up. If you've got one where eliminated, 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 this person, then they'd get the full 1,800 votes. Whereas if it's a horde one, a bunch of the horde votes disappear into candidate one, a bunch of them disappear into candidate two, a bunch of them disappeared into candidate four, and only 400 were left over. But if you had a someone who's voting for small candidates, all 1,800 of those votes would make it all the way down to candidate 10, and then candidate 10 would get them. So the small block actually wants more candidates on there than the big block. So if you're gonna if you're gonna want to pass the votes all the way down, you have to draw a real losing hand when well, all of your initial no that's ones that's what this is well that's what this is built for, but nobody's really using it the way they should. You're supposed to vote for your dream candidates, and so if you if you vote for the guy, say you're into role playing and you really want this guy to win, but you don't think he can win, if you put that guy in first and guys like him for the next nine slots, your vote won't be wasted when it gets to the tenth sure thing voter vote uh, candidate uh, at the end there. So you really should be voting for your for your dream candidate. Eventually, your vote will hit something that counts. Doing it the other way around, I think, is when votes get wasted. Yeah. So potentially, if you wanted to do it this way, you'd vote for say an Asia if you're in Pappy, and then go Gobbins all the way through so that your vote for Arsiad counts. And eventually, if Arsiad gets elected, then your vote just goes into Gobbins and follows the Pappy flying down. But Arsiad will hold those votes for a long time and potentially will get in because of that. Yeah, and if she gets eliminated early for whatever reason, uh, doesn't the vote still get used by Gobbins? Yeah, the vote's just still passed down to Gobbins, so Gobbins mm-hmm. will still get those votes. Only if he survives, right? Yeah, only if Gobbins survives, but Gobbins is going to survive. <laughs> He's a survivor. <laughs> Well, hope- Gobbins will get elected immediately, so... Yeah, yeah we all hope uh, uh, TIS candidates get in there. We'd be very excited to have uh, any of them, but all of them would be great, too. Okay, man, what else we got? All right, so what happened with Kenneth last year? Kenneth is probably the most interesting person to get in last year. Yeah. By the way, watching this live, we watched Kenneth's numbers go up and up and up, and it was very much a horse race. It was very exciting to watch him. He was actually the one candidate I endorsed last year. And so, watching him actually uh, perform in this horse race, watching it live was amazing. And that's why I think you should watch it tomorrow when all this gets announced for this year. Go ahead, Red. Sorry. So Kenneth and Blazing Bunny actually did the smart thing. So NC and PL made a deal with each other to preference each other. So if you look here, Blazing Bunny, Kenneth. Kenneth, Maria, who got elected, so that doesn't really matter. Gobbins, who got elected, so that doesn't really matter. Blazing Bunny. What it means is they're basically in a two-horse race by themselves. They ignore every other candidate in the field, and whichever one of those guys who are left at the end gets all the preferences. So if Blazing Bunny goes out first, Kenneth gets the preferences, and vice versa. If Kenneth goes out first, Blazing Bunny gets the preferences. And what happened was Blazing Bunny got eliminated, so Kenneth got a whole heap of votes. The interesting part came a bit later. Those votes were not enough to get Kenneth elected. So if we look up here... We got Maria Taylor, Gobbins, Steadio, Kenneth, but we've also got right. Wait, uh, missed it here. So Maria had a huge proportion of her votes going just to Maria. 
So about a third of her votes, give or take a little bit, go just to Maria and have no follow down candidates. Whereas up here, Gobbins has a whole bunch of votes, but you look all the way down here, you get Gobbins. So it's about one twentieth. So about five percent, four or five percent Gobbins votes had no preferences. So what was happening was Maria wasn't getting elected at the start of the round straight up. So she was getting Gobbins preferences. Eighteen hundred Gobbins preference went to Maria. Eleven hundred seventy-seven. Maria then easily got elected with those preferences and sent preferences to Kenneth as well. So she sent 700. So between Gobbins and Maria, you've got about 900 preferences going to Kenneth. But you've got a huge amount of people getting eliminated and all sorts of things. And the reason for this is three quarters of Maria's votes were directly coming from Maria and one quarter or so was coming from preferences from Gobbins. So when they started pushing those votes down the chain, three quarters of the preferences followed what Maria wanted and only one quarter followed what Gobbins wanted. On the second last round, enough of candidates of votes got eliminated that we said exhausted before that Maria got in on her own steam without Gobbins' preferences. So instead of a bunch of those preferences being eliminated because Maria has a high elimination factor, we go from here where Kenneth's getting 220 plus 700, so he's getting 920 preferences, to now he's getting 1,400. So he's picked up basically 500 preferences just because Maria was getting elected straight away and Gobbins wasn't splitting preferences with Maria further down the field. And that specific moment is when Kenneth got elected. If that didn't happen, there was a potential that Kenneth wasn't actually going to make it. That's a scary thought. What's the the lesson here to be learned from Uh, that? CSV is quirky as hell. (laughs) But what should be the, the best practice for a voter in the future? Um, use all your preferences and don't have the exhausted ones. So if Maria didn't have that such a big block of people who got immediately exhausted. This In other words, happen. she had no backup people after they voted for her. Yeah. She, they had no second, third, fourth preference. That's bad so, fraternity. That's on you. But go ahead. So if she didn't have that, you would have noticed this sort of ping. And what you will notice is this is where goons shine the brightest. Goons have had over 80% of people vote for their main one, by far. Horde has 50%, which is pretty decent, and the rest of them are not anything close. So this is where goons win CSM, and this is how goons win CSM, is because people follow that list. They're to the death, down to the tenth. They don't waste votes like uh, Maria here. Only got 470 there. You won't even find Merkel Chen having just Merkel Chen until you get to like... 30 or 40 votes. Like people, even down here, 56, they're following the list. So follow, put your 10 candidates in is the biggest thing. Don't just put one. Got it. So fill in the ballot. Uh, that's all for now. Um, there are some interesting points that we can go through in terms of where Phantomite got votes from, um, but I'm not sure you want to go that rabbit hole. Yeah, where oh, did he no, get I, votes I, from? He got votes from all over, Matterall. Let's he find was... out. Right, I'll bring this back up. So, if you look here... Sorry, the clarity is not quite there. The bottom half of the graph looks good, though. But All right. So, Phantomite... This is the full list of the first vote. Phantomite here got 1,467. But if you look on the actual vote list, Phantomite got 180 just for Phantomite, 
And then he doesn't really get much. And then you got 92 here, which is Phantomite, Loresso, Insidious. And then you follow down, whoops, you follow down again, you get Phantomite, Kenneth, Mikazaru. Now, this is a pretty weird voting combination. Mm-hmm. We keep following down to Phantomite, Phantomite, Stitch, Kalen. That makes more sense. But again, it's a fairly weird voting combination because there's nothing else there. That's like, low sec voters. I mean, yeah. Uh, but small game. You, the one thing you've got to understand about this is there's 40 candidates in 10 positions. The chances of getting people to vote match is about the same as winning the lottery. So having 31 people who go Phantomite Stitch and nothing else tends to start looking like someone who's a single person voting 31 times. Right. They're sending a signal that way too. I mean, that that's how you send a signal that you voted for someone. It's basically a receipt if somebody pays you for your votes. But in this case, it looks like somebody with 30 accounts uh, was a low-sec fan because those two are very closely related. So It's very... I guess, extremists where they say, I'm only voting these candidates and nobody else. Nobody else gets a sliver. They don't get a penny from me if they don't succeed. Is that what uh, is going on? Yeah, pretty much. So these are the first two ones I could find with Phantomite was filled out for the first 10. And if they're filled out for the first 10, they potentially are one person, but they're also potentially Phantomite saying, these are the 10 people I think you should vote for. So this is potentially where Phantomite actually starts getting people or multiple people. So Phantomite, when he got in last year, I tend to suggest that he had a bunch of high-value supporters who had multiple accounts Mm -hmm. that kept him alive long enough to start pulling um, preferences from other people because he's in random places on a lot of other people's votes. That tracks, actually. It makes sense because we... um, I I think there's not a lot of room for ballots uh, in small gang. You know, I don't know if they distribute it. It could be a corporation, though, couldn't it? Like if you have 30 people in a corp. Yeah, 30%. Yeah. Those sort of blocks, it's hard to predict what they're going to do next year because what they're going to do is they're going to move as a block. So 30% Mm -hmm. people are one person. They're still a block as such. And potentially they'll go, Saturni is better. So that's how why Phantomite's really hard to predict if he's going to make it or not. I wonder if there is a, a way we could discover behaviorally if... Uh, small gang guys think independently or wormholers think independently while null set guys want to be told what to do. Well, if you want to check that, I would suggest you check out Stitch Caneland, who I... He's in an interesting position in the small gang community because he is a truly small gang. However, it's a bit divisive because he hasn't played a lot recently and he's very, very specialised compared to the other candidates, say Phantomite being the big one having quite a lot more diverse experience in small-scale PvP and also the support of low-set candidates. The issue I have with working that out is I don't have the ballots from last year because I wasn't playing last year. So I can't go, this is the hard knocks, they only put three people down. Anyone who puts a little bit different, okay, that's not someone following the tribalism. If I had the full ballot from hard knocks from last year, I could potentially go through and work that out. I am fairly sure that as for the small gang PvP ballots from last year, they were there. pretty much weren't none. People were given a, I guess, a few selection of names, and people toss them into a hat and juggle them. I do understand that there was a sizable community of people who refused to vote Phantomite due to his past actions while he was under snuffed out snuffbox. Mm. And because of that, he lost some support there. But obviously, not enough that stopped him from getting elected. He still got elected. Well, so in conclusion, Ren, 
we're we're looking at a situation where more than ever null blocks are dominating the CSM election we predict with eight positions pretty much in their pocket. Uh, seven plus Mike is Hysek. Sorry, thank you. Seven, well, that's a little more typical, six or seven. Uh, you're right, Mike is just an incumbent that's getting back in, hopefully, uh, if his base shows up in, in Hysek. There's one uh, last point I want to make, is how to abuse this. Oh, wait, before you get to how to abuse it, let's go to Shen, and then we'll come back. Uh, just want to say, if you look at Nosek as a whole, we are also very divided. <laughs> right, we're divided right now into two, but before it was three, it's more like Imperium, Legacy, and uh, uh, Pentham. But, but the thing that's different from Noblock to Small Gang to Wormhole is that we have, the, we have a very high base of population. We have a high number to start with. So even though if we're divided into, let's say, three or four blocks, we still have that number compared to, let's say, wormhole or uh, or small game. Mm -hmm. Okay, Ren, uh, how do we abuse this system? So this election technique is actually used in Australia for the Australian Senate, and it was abused very hard about six or seven years ago. So the Australian Senate has six candidates going. Instead of 10, we got six. And what was happening is you get three from one party, two from another, and the sixth candidate is a bit of a toss-up. Sometimes it goes four from one party, two from another. Sometimes it goes three and three. Sometimes you get an independent in. What a bunch of small guys worked out very quickly and started working out together was as long as they preference each other before the null sec ones. So the Australian one's a little bit different. You had infinite preferences. You don't have just 10. They have infinite preferences. So what the small guys worked out was as long as they preferenced each other first and then the big, two big parties are last, one of them is going to get in. They don't know who it is. It's a potluck. And as long as you're not last at any one point of the count, you'll keep going. So what happened was our mate Ricky Muir. <laughs> our mate Ricky Muir got in with just a primary vote of 0.1051%. And he needed to get over 10% to get in. He needed to get to about 13 by the end, which he did. Because all those preferences bounced around and bounced around and bounced around until he was the last man standing. The, and this is how high-sec, small-gang wormholers can actually start abusing the system, is start working with their preferences and getting a block of 10 candidates together and going, we're going to preference each other. And they will get in because of this. This is what Pappy did this year. I think this is the first year I've seen an organized NullSec beyond, well, I mean, I've seen fragments of it. And with the exception of Noros, who went a little bit off the, uh, off the regular vote, you saw a lot of collusion between Pandemic Legion and, and CDOT, which is not unusual, but you also saw Horde in there. Still not unusual. But the more, the more you look at Pappy uh, at, with Test and everybody else, you see a real plan there where they have all put their own candidates at the very top, not unlike the Imperium has done in the past, but they're more or less one or two or three entities as opposed to five or six. Yeah, and because they've done that, they're pretty much assured Progod Legend is going to make it on. Now, if Frat had have put Rich as first, there is a potential... and if Frat had followed the voting as well as they did last year, which they might not have because Maria is Frat and Rich maybe not quite so Frat, that Rich would have got in instead of Progod. Mm, so close, Rich. So, yeah, if it's, Rich had been so, first... Uh, this is torture. This is torture. <laughs> you poor man. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Rich. But as yeah. being second candidate, his potential chances of getting in is going to be a lot less because they're going to start splitting and dividing votes a lot more. Yeah. We, we also don't know. These are the planned votes. We don't know if people actually follow what they're told to do, right? I mean, there, there are people who just say, yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm going to vote that way. And they, they changed up the order for their personal preference. So you just never know. It's interesting. You can predict it. I'm pre- I could probably predict which rounds a lot of their candidates are going to make it in, but I can't predict those last two. Those last two are the hard ones. Okay, so let's go back and review for this year the names again one last time. Who do we think is getting in? All right, so Merkel Chen, Gobbins will get in first round. Kenneth is likely to get in first round, but it might take a couple of rounds just for a few things to sort itself out. Vili will get in next. And nominate will get in next after that. Pro God will probably start pulling in with about three rounds to go. Brisk will probably pull in in about three rounds to go. Mike Azaria is likely, if he gets in, to get in before Pro God and Brisk. And then the last two are, we don't know. Arceus, Atonia, Teddy, Dr. Spod, Beast, Jurius, Phantomite. There's a lot of names being thrown up. I'm not sure who's going to get it. It's the part of the voting style. It's kind of random. You don't even name me. Oh, <laughs> killing me! Uh, it's it's a it's just a predictive model, right? I mean, people mm. people can say, uh, "I'm going to buck the trend and do what they do what they uh, want." Yeah, Rich, you're a little short. Unless you've got a big chunk of votes from somewhere I'm not seeing. Yeah. Well, I've use? been I've been promised uh, the voting base from Wharton Wormhole and the uh, associated alt accounts and alt groups, and I've been assured certain votes from some groups I've flown with, but we shall see. This is terrifying. You might, might stitch something together. But listen, uh, last year we saw one guy, um, Huvenius, come out of nowhere. He got nearly a thousand votes, and that was mostly based to a friend who said, I like your candidacy, I'm going to support you. One person can make a huge difference. Yeah, which makes this a lot more fun than just being, I can predict what's going to happen. Okay. It's, uh, Sorry about reality. that. <clears throat> Well, I hope to see how it goes tomorrow. I actually can't wait. And all this speculation, its uh, at least gives me some room to relax and say, well, it's been quite a journey. We'll see what happens tomorrow. All right. <clears throat> Let's see if uh, another TIS candidate can get in there uh, besides Kenneth. All right. So what we uh, wanted to do, thank you very much for a great presentation, great number crunching. It's, uh, it's really interesting to walk through this with you, Ren. Very nicely done. I hope everyone enjoyed it. Next, I want to go to uh, Shen. We're going to look at some prices, right, for uh, the... Let me just prepare that a little bit better. <clears throat> we, we were talking about um, Black Ops. What's the changes there? Like, with these announced changes coming, what's the market look like? I mean, essentially, they got buffed uh, by last Friday's devlog. They got buffed a lot. So yeah, look at that. I mean, a general, go ahead. Yeah, a general trend we've seen, like at least uh, with those buffs, same thing we've seen last time during the Marauder buff, which is on the day of the devlog or within a few hours of the devlog. Uh, quickly, the uh, the stocks on the market are being bought up right away. So the most extreme um, uh, example here is the Marshall. Uh, I think there was there were only like two or three that are left on the market. 
after one guy just bought all of the stock on, on that day. Let's see if I can call up the marshal. How, how many marshals were bought all in one day? Uh, we're going to see that on the graph here. Uh, I think, I believe there was like 40-something? 46. 40, 46 marshals in one day. How much are marshals? Seven so, million each, so that, approximately. So that, that would have made uh, the marshal jump uh, a big range. So it went from, I think, 6.3 or 6.4 billion to about 9.2, 9.3 billion on that one day. That's well so, over 300 yeah. billion worth of marshals. <laughs> yeah, it's basically yeah, six. It is, a, it is a big it's investment. A, that's a third. That's and if it goes up in price, that's that's a third of a trillion worth of marshals bought, just like that. Well, it did uh, benefit from the changes that uh, came out as well. It's a big, big time DPS ship, so, um, so it was a Does good it purchase. Benefit that much was it? Is it worth a third of a trillion to? I guess somebody's going to flip it and make a profit, but is it is that uh, hold really worth that much? Are you going to get that much bang for your buck? Uh, again, I mean, we'll see after the after how the market's going to go. Yeah, the Marshall's not a workhorse; it's more of a prized possession. Uh, here it is; it's an ex it's an exclusive ship that is um, hard to get. You had to win them uh, by going to FanFest Annie Vegas in the same year. And then if you worked on Project Discovery really hard, you could uh, earn enough to get one. So it's a yep, rare I, ship. I got mine from, I got mine from Project Discovery. Good for you. That's I mean, refer a friend, but your friend needs to get, I believe, Omega in order to add yeah, one more you number to your I think 40 roster. friends or 40 accounts that's under a name, under your uh, uh, invite link to get Omega in order for you to get a PPC. Uh, and that takes about another a billion or so mm. in material to actually build up the Marshall. The Marshall is actually still available. It's dropping a little bit in price. It's no longer at 9.1. You can buy one for 8.8 .8 billion ISK if you still wanted to grab one. Uh, let's look at the Redeemer. It's selling for 1.5. And uh, looks like the black, black Ops market is cooling a bit after the initial buy-up. Uh, I think we see that really clearly with the uh, with the uh, way it's dropping here. Um, we'll look at Widow, a little less of a bump. And the Sin, this is the Galente Black Ops, same as the Widow. And finally, the Panther, this looks a little bit more like the Redeemer. Yeah, so patterns that you can see here, well, at least a, a, a special thing to note, is the Panther, the price of the Panther is about 1.6 bill. Uh, but the price of a thing is about 1.2 to 1.3 billion. Mm. So I think this is my theory on it is the thing was commonly used uh, before the change or before the dev block came out. So there are more stocks on the market. So it's easier to bounce back for the things so people can uh, replace those stocks right away uh, on the market. But the Panther was one of the least used uh, Black Ops compared to the other three. So there are uh, fewer stocks compared to the Redeemer, the Widow, or the Sing. So people have to take time to actually make those uh, Panther to, and put them uh, on the market as well. And that's why you think they're a little more expensive. They're just a little more rare. Yeah. So it, after some time, everything will be smoothed out. Like price will be similar uh, amount uh, everything. Yeah. All of them. Right. They are the most expensive Black Ops ship, uh, aside from the, of course, the Marshall, which is 
10 times, nine times the number. Uh, and you were saying that these come in for 1.7, basically 1.7 billion. Whereas the sin comes in, as we can see, 1.3 billion. The widow is 1.5. And so is the redeemer pretty much in that range. Yeah. It's curious exactly. because I, I, I would think the prices of these ships would be more influenced by their use in the past. To my knowledge, the Redeemer and the Sin were the primary Black Ops ships, along with the Marshal. The Widow was uh, has generally been seen, well, prior to this change, rather weak. And the Panther was, in my opinion, even weaker, to the point where people even fitted artilleries on the Redeemer because they were stronger on the Redeemer than the Panther. So that's, I would think that that would have affected their prices because of their popularity and how strong they were compa- compared to each other. So, so market is about uh, supply and demand. So what you said is about the demand, uh, demand side, but also you have to worry about supply side. So when, they're, when those ships are more popular, that means they have more stock readily available to them at any given time. So when this kind of big earthquake type of uh, buff happens, it's easier for those things uh, and those uh, redeemers and the widows to bounce back compared to the Panther because they are fewer stock. I wonder if there's not some psychology to that too. When you see less of something on the market, you start to think rarity. So you buy on speculation more so than if you were to see something that was fully stocked. Well, if that were the case, Mavril, I would think some really obscure, rare items and storyline objects, or God forbid, Shaquille's speed enhancer, would be more commonly purchased and hoarded and traded, but... Well, nobody purchases or nobody really trades the Shaquille's speed enhancer. No, a lot of people don't even know what it is. Yeah. Uh, another comparison we can see with uh, the price is if you compare the general price for a Black Ops to a Marauder, which both of them are the only two um, T two battleships that are mm-hmm. uh, available. Advanced battleships. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. So the. Uh, the black ops black ops is about like 1.5 billion but generally speaking marauder is about 1.8 up so there is a big gap difference between uh, the yeah. the black ops and the marauders right these are coming in at 1.7 1.9 uh well surely it's all, all the popularity right because with the widow the widow itself while it is a powerful battleship it is a battleship. It does have T2 resist and a lot of bonuses. It is actually not that great at combat. The, uh, the Black Ops battleships are not that great at combat for their price compared to the Marauders, which are absolutely devastating right now and really powerful uh, for what they do. Incredibly powerful. Yeah, it's, it's about different roles within a fleet, well, the, right? Yeah, the Black Ops... Or... The Black Ops ships are made for hidden runs. They're made for assassinations. They're meant to go all in, while the Marauders are actually far more combat uh, capable and have more generalized use. The yeah, so I think that also affects the popularity. People don't really the use case. The amount of uses you can have for a Black Ops ship is fewer than the Marauders. Yeah, but in some way, Marauders only most likely is about a one-time investment. Uh, if you do it the way that is intended, which is high sec level formations. Uh, but right now we are seeing a lot of uh, Marauders in PvP, ESS, all kinds of stuff like that. Well, you can't really use a Black Ops inside of an ESS. And if you use it in a PvP scenario, you better 
it's it's awkward. It isn't that strong in PvP. It's at least not in the skirmish. I think yeah, so that's the thing with is you can only do one thing. You can only do one thing, but for Marauder, you can do a few things. What about the, what about the training? One. Do you think the training affects the costs? Because, to my knowledge, the Black Ops ships require you to train a bunch of Sino skills and jump skills. Mm, now, no. if you... Sorry, go ahead, finish your point. If you're, going to, if you're training into, say, a Dreadnought, you'll have those skills, but if you didn't have plans to train into a Dreadnought in the first place, you probably don't have a bunch of jump drive skills. So Capital's a whole different training. train. Uh, if you're going to go into anything Capital's, even if it's just a jump freighter where you don't want to get into combat, you're in for a giant chunk of training that you wouldn't do for any other reason. So, uh, not really. This training huge. Really. Wouldn't that affect the popularity too? So, so this is the thing with capital training uh, stuff. So a Marauder training skill point is more like a Dread. So a Dread out doesn't require any jump drive skills at all. It, it doesn't require... So, but a Carrier... No matter if it's a fax, a super carrier, or just a standard carrier, requires uh, jump drive uh, operation five and jump fuel conser- conservation three or four. So it requires a, a very high amount of jump drive skills, which corresponds to the black ops ships. But it seems to me so if you're those are requirements, but you're not going to use a dreadnought if you can't jump with it. I mean, you defeat the purpose of it. Well. Well, no, but like if you want to get on the ship, let's say if, if I just want to get on a dread and I have a JDC four, uh, mm-hmm. that's usually well for us that's that's standard because JDC four on a capital the same as JDC five on a, a super capital, so you're able to go with a fleet. Whether how much fuel you're gonna use, uh, that's up to you, right? If you want to mm-hmm. take the time in to to train them, you can save more uh, more cost. But generally so, speaking, it's I not really required. I think a lot of the profit margin, the difference in price comes from the industry cost to make them. Just chucking these into RavWorks, the Redeemer costs less, but the margin is better. So the actual cost to make it is lower than the Paladin. Yeah, that, that's part of the thing. It's the industry side. Oh, these new changes, I can see why people suddenly want to buy them and start using them. And it's speculation. People, if the price increase, well, if they're buffed, people want yeah. to use them. People speculate the price will increase and they want to... Uh, metal it i don't think it's strictly production cost although it maps really well right i mean that looks just like the price difference right there but i think you you have right now you have speculation buying you have surplus you have a little hype that all needs to settle out Uh, but i think when the production cost does kick in you will see pretty much what we're seeing now but although i think it is kind of a coincidence Uh, at least we've seen the black ops uh, market uh, cool down way faster than the more order ones uh, yeah, exactly. like one big reason be- behind the Marauder ones, they got buffed, and yes. so their the price went up, and then start going down, start going down. That industrial change, the big one, and then right. that just went just went up again, and then right now it's somewhat cooling down. So. Well, but both these ships are T two, so their production costs, uh, I'm pretty sure, didn't change. Well, like if their base ship changed from like two hundred right. mil. Before but they, but they use the same. Don't they use the same base ship? No, they don't. Do they? The Paladin. Yes, and the they Re- do. They do they use the, the. Oh no, no, they don't. No, no. They Redeemer's uh, Armageddon, or the, yeah, the Geddon. Armageddon. And, yeah, and the Paladin is the uh, Abaddon. So they use uh, different. No, Abaddon. A, a couple of lists. A couple. Abaddon has no oh. T two. Yeah. No T two. Anyway, their base ship, their T one model, 
I think do have different build costs, and that might account for some of the change. But the T2 variant of battleships did not get changed. Just the one uh, ingredient, the ship, uh, the T1 version, is what got changed. And maybe that accounts for some of the variety. I yeah. Mean, I think do you think Black Ops got a buffed? Do you feel like they got... The, obviously, the Marauder got a lot of love, right? Huge amount of love from CCP. It's a great ship for purposes that people even are attracted to. The Black Ops seem to get almost fixed. Not really a ton of love. Just a little more functional. Yeah, because uh, there are a smaller group of people who use Black Ops compared to Marauders. Because yeah. Marauder, you can use it on any PV things, right? Escalations in Nosec, uh level 4 missions in high sec, level 5 missions in, in low sec. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can use it for PvP as well. So it's, it's, it's very versatile. But compared to Black Ops, where it's basically... Black Ops, that, that's what it does. Uh, yeah. uh, dropping people and, tra- and basically being a small Titan bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that only bridge Black Ops well, ships. ships yeah. So, yeah, so their, their abilities are limited in a lot of ways. But I think uh, what uh, you were asking about, Rich, is there a, um, a skill difference? I don't think you go into these ships. I don't think you meander into these ships. Um, but if you were, I think the... Uh, uh, the Marauder is something you would meander into easier. Maybe not. It has a really tough train. I think it's like, it has this, um, oh, I forgot what it is. It's this one skill that's not really used in anything else. Tactical weapons configuration. That's one. There's a second one in there. I forget what it is. It's a CPU skill. And it, you have to take it to five. Uh, weapon upgrade five. Weapon upgrade five. Uh, well, advanced weapon upgrades five. Of course I have advanced weapon upgrades No, no, no. no. Every, yeah, everybody will have that. But there's actually another one. I believe uh, we should look up. Should... I mean, the, the the hardest skill for any of this T two battleship is just that T the, the ratio battleship five. That's the hardest one you need to train because that one only gives you uh, that the the T two battleship skills. Because for everything else, it's actually used somewhere else. But for battleship skill, that one skill is just only used here. Hmm, let me see. Perhaps it, perhaps the training changed. I thought there was something to do with the CPU. CPU management, uh, it only requires four, and that's nothing. So to get into a Marauder, you need energy grid upgrades five and that's advanced it. weapons upgrades five to yeah. get Marauder one. I think maybe it was the advanced weapons upgrade, which is a tough train, but anybody serious about fitting will, will get that. It's, it's, consider, it's very hard to train it up. It takes a long time, over a month. But when you... But, it, it opens up marauders to you. And I, and I think by that time, you're already into advanced stuff. So you're going to, you, that path is going to be much more natural than a black ops path. I think black ops is, you're veering off your, your normal path for some specialization because it has jump bridge, uh, bridging capabilities and stuff. Yeah, like I, I can definitely see that because that uh, bridging skill only used uh, in black ops or titans. There's yeah. only two places that you would use it. And the skills more like you start with uh, a cover ops as a frigate, and move on to a force reckon, and then to black ops. That's basically grow path for for a black, a black op pilot. So for but, me to train into a black ops ship, it will take me right now on my Rich Richmond account eighty six days and sixteen hours, compared to a Marauder thirty two days. Oh, this is well. Let me check the skills to get into a Black Ops ship, but I'm fairly sure that all of these skills are requirements. They're all jump drive skills, and if you're a subcap right. pilot, 
you don't if you're if you're fine majority in small gang PvP where you don't field capitals that often, if not at all, on your main account, you will not have jump drive skills. If I, I'd have no reason to be in a right. jump freighter as of right now, I have no capitals as of right now, so I have no reason to train these. And if you're if for people who, yeah. it, it, we have to keep in mind that these skills, capitals, are not going to be used by a huge number of players in high security. And there are a significant amount of players in high security yeah. who will use marauders. So I think that's also why the demand for marauders will always be so much more than the demand for black ops. I see, yeah. Well, if that's what you meant by do skills make a difference, uh, I think they're definitely a different skill path to, to do black ops career path really and you're right that's stuff that's used in low sec null sec uh not really in high sec and yes of course i have advanced weapon upgrades five it's very important at high skill pvp levels you have to squeeze out every inch i think it's considered one of the magic 14 or whatever they call that uh yeah and it's such a hard i don't think it's such a stupid train it's it's an entire month and a little bit more worth of subscription, and yeah. you're just sitting there it's a waiting. Real, <laughs> it's a real gatekeeper. And you have to though. do this. If you you have to do this, otherwise you're playing the game hobbled. Yeah, I, I'm waste. I paid an entire month just so I can play the game like every other person. I don't play it hobbled. I had to pay that for it. It's, 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 it's not a high tech or low tech player. Like for us, uh, any capital skills that's two four two five at least a month to start with. We're not complaining anything about the hack along. Like a fighter fight, 48 days with plus 15 points. Like it's ridiculous a lot of times. Let me actually... start training the capital skills and looking into capital skills, and then you're not going to complain about sub capital skills. So, if you look at the pricing margins for the T1 version, there's only 50 million difference between the Apocalypse and the Armageddon, where the price in the T2 version is 250 million difference. So, there's a 200 million variance there, and the margin is opposite as well so the paladin obviously takes more in industry to make than the redeemer does but if you want a better analysis you're going to have to find kenneth i think (laughs) yeah well also i think mcleod made this point in the audience there that uh, there's a a strong draw on t2 materials as well right now so even though the price didn't i mean even though the ingredient set for t2 didn't change besides the t1 ship that gets put into that the pull on the resources that make t2 are, it has increased. More things are pulling on it now. So uh, those prices will go up. Therefore, the overall price of T2 will go up as well. I'm looking at the, um, what is this here? Advanced weapon upgrades. I just wanted to look at this uh, this level five skill here. That's uh, it's required for Marauders, Doomsday Operation, and Tactical Weapon Configuration. Tactical Weapon Configuration is... Um, um, dreadnought. It's a dreadnought oh, uh, skill, yeah. Bastion and Siege. Bastion and right. Siege. Yeah, these are advanced models for capitals, these two here, but Marauders is the only subcap ship that this is required for. Uh, and that's why it's such a big train. And although it's considered one of the, uh, what do they call that? Magic, whatever it is. Magic 14. Yeah, yes. it really shouldn't be there because I think you're. So it's a fitting advanced- skill. But it's very advanced. The one that really annoys you, because I just trained into Marauder, is the energy grid upgrades, because it That's doesn't it. really help anything else. Exactly. But you need That's it the to one. get Marauder 1. 
that's the one that I was talking about. That is just kind of this incidental one. Uh, but it's it's the only thing that's off your path. What I meant by all this was, if you're a PvPer and you're going in to uh, get your skill set as you know to a point that's really competitive, Marauders are basically on your way, except that one skill. Whereas Black Ops is like you have to take a, a right turn and you have to drive for a while before you get to Black Ops because you have to do all this. Uh, jump skill stuff that's really reserved for capitals but anyway that's a quick look at the market for some fun we'll uh, give you a proper show on that tomorrow do not forget gotta watch ccp tv and find out who csm 16 uh is what that council will look like and who the winners are are we sure are we confirming that they are actually doing that tomorrow because apparently they're meant to do the live draw in t- on the 21st of June, according to previous releases. I'm, I'm just confused now. Well, now I got to check, but uh, I heard it was Friday. Can somebody check CCP Swift's Twitter? I'll have a look and I will actually write. I thought that I had asked. And if anybody knows when it is, it does say it. I looked it up. It does say it on the 21st. Then who the hell said I mean, we're it was talking on about Friday? Skills. Yeah, we're talking about skills, like the most common skills for either high sec or north sec player is probably law G5. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that was a hard train too. That's actually, I, I think if you're on your career path to do PvP combat in a fleet, in large fleets, that's your first stop. Because the neat thing about being a logistics pilot is most logistics pilots work with either shield or armor. And so all you need to do is train into armor, for instance, and now you can belong to five or six different doctrines of ships and you can be in those fleets because they're all armor and that's all you're repairing. Whereas if you train into a DPS ship, you got to train into the ship, you got to train into those guns, you got to train into make those guns effective, and you got to train your uh, tank at the same time and all that kind of stuff. So you, you become a lot more specialized. And then if your crew decides to run with a different ship than you're ready for, you have to sit out that fleet. So... Going into NullSec, logistics first gets you more involved quicker. Also, it used to be we used to have to deploy a lot when we were fighting in uh, campaigns. And so if some people would just bring three or four different logistics ships and they would be ready to, perf- to play in any fleet, uh, as opposed to trying to figure out what ships are going to be used in that theater. So it's a lot easier, too, to pack up and go. And also, like, Logic 5 is the only skills that at level five you unlock something like for any other skill i don't think it unlocks anything but for logic five you uh, it's required for facts for the uh triage mode or charge mod basically oh yeah that's something for fa- for facts finally or capital pilots tell me what is going on with the markets that is so curious i understand that we went over it briefly about how the the price of injectors are connected to the price of Plex, but it's slightly delayed. We understand that now there's probably a lot of people subscribing, uh, especially with the Capsulea Day celebrations. But what else stirs with the market? Well, yesterday, you speak of what we talked about yesterday, where if we look at Plex, we can see that it's doing a little bit of a recovery. We'll look at the graph just to make it more dramatic. And we'll back out to see more of the field. As you can see, it's been on a long slide down. It finally got to uh, really about 2.2, 2.3. And now it seems like it's getting a little healthier. It's got some bumps in there. Those probably have to do with sales more than anything else. And um, on the other hand, 
what you have with large injectors is a continual slide with just a little uptick here at the very end, uh, but you don't know if that's going to continue or not. And these two things should be pe pegged together, but they're not directly pegged together. The skill extractor is pegged exactly to, as you can see, this looks just like Plex. There's Plex, here's extractor, because there's no X factor here. But when you get to injector, which is an extractor plus 500, thousand skill points there's an x factor that is how much your skill points worth and that's where you see the bargaining happen where skill points are sometimes worth a lot and sometimes they're worth less it just depends on how, how many people are buying up those shortcuts so this has a lagging this is a lagging indicator um, in other words you'll see plex perform first and then you will see that hit the extractor mark the uh, injector market that's what you were talking about. We talked about it yesterday, but um, I don't know what else is going on in the market. I haven't had a time, a chance to look. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else look? All right, then. We'll, uh, again, yeah. we'll have a look at it. Yeah. And we wanted to check on some of the changes that were happening. That's where you're going to see some major market activity, which we saw with uh, Black Ops. Okay, I think we should wrap it up. I want to say thanks uh, to Rich and to Shen for hanging out. And uh, special thanks to Ren, uh, who's with us uh, talking in stations. He's the one who did the presentation that you just saw on the predictive modeling of CSM results. I heard Friday were the announcements, but we did see that it was a 21st where they may announce. So we'll try to get an answer for you. <laughs> and don't forget to watch what, uh, our interview with the Triglavian guys as they are determined to blow up their own um, structures in Poshvin as a, as a protest to the conditions inside of Poshvin. That's a complaint to CCP. Want to say uh, thank you uh, to everybody that showed up today, all the fans, and we will see you next time on Talking In Stations.